falling over, fainting, passing out, and you're just laughing at them. I'm just kidding. I, I pulled it up this past week. I kept hearing about these fainting goats, but I'd never actually seen them. And the day I downloaded the video, I literally watched it like 25 times. I couldn't stop laughing. Here's the thing. I think a lot of us are like those goats. Maybe not physically. Maybe we don't seize up and roll over that way physically, but I think so many times when we come up against obstacles in life, when we face doubts, when our faith is questioned, that's what our spiritual muscles do. We lock up, we seize up, we doubt, we roll over and play dead almost in a lot of ways. There's a story that I've heard a few times and I really like, and um, a story that's just meant a lot to me over the years as I've listened to it, but it's the story of this mountain climber. And maybe you've heard this before, but this mountain climber has, has accomplished climbing a lot of mountains. He's really gotten good at what he does, and he decides that he's going to set out and climb Mount Everest. And he wants to not only climb Mount Everest, he wants to do it alone, go solo, to prove to everyone that he can do it. And so he gets everything figured out. He plans his course. He knows how he's going to get to the peak. You know, he's got all of his equipment ready. He's packed. He's made all of his preparations. Everything's good to go. And he sets off early the morning of, of his, the beginning of his climb. And he starts on his course, and he's making pretty good progress. But as he gets into the evening time, and the sun's beginning to set, and he knows he's running out of light, he looks at where he is and, and where he's supposed to go according to the map, and he realizes, I'm not going to make it to my campsite by dark. And so he shifts his route a little bit and decides to take this slightly more difficult climb. And he's going to climb up a, an area of the mountain where it's basically like an inverted climb. So he's almost climbing backwards, like hanging over his head. But, you know, this guy's been climbing forever, so this is not that difficult for him. He knows he can make it, even carrying his pack. He's going to be all right. And he takes off on this new trek, and he gets almost to the top just as it's getting dark. And he reaches out and he misses his handhold and he falls. And he falls and he falls. And as you can imagine, his life's kind of flashing before his eyes in that moment. And all of a sudden, his rope grabs him. And he cinches and he's hanging. And it's dark enough at this point that he doesn't know where he is. He can't see how far he's fallen. He's thanking God that his anchor held, that his rope held onto him, that he didn't fall to his death. And he's hanging here thinking, what am I going to do? If I hang here overnight, I'll, I'll literally freeze to death. I can't do this. I can't just dangle here. I've got to figure out how to get back on the mountain, and there's no way to get back to the mountain because it's an inverted climb. He's just dangling out away from it. And so in desperation, he cries out, God, help me. And he's shocked when God responds. And he hears this booming voice that says, what do you want me to do? He says, save me. And God says, well, do you really believe I can save you? The guy says, of course you can save me. You're God. You can do anything. You can save me. God says, are you sure? Do you really believe I can save you? Yes, you can save me. Cut the rope. There's this awkward silence as the guy thinks about that. And then he responds, cut the rope? What are you talking about, God? I, I, I'm dangling from the rope. This is the only thing keeping me alive. Cut the rope? Are you sure? God says, do you believe I can save you? Yes. Cut the rope. The guy pulls out his pocket knife, he grabs the rope, and he's getting ready to cut it. And he pauses again, and he starts to think and doubt and question. God, are you sure? Are you sure that this is what you're... I must be hearing you wrong. Maybe I'm hearing things. Maybe my mind's playing tricks on me. Maybe this fall bothered me more than I realized. Surely you're not asking me to cut the rope. And he decides that 
he's got a better chance of hanging onto that rope all night and surviving to first light where he can see the mountain and do something. He puts his knife back in his pocket. And the story ends that a rescue team the next day finds him, still dangling from his rope, frozen to death, less than 10 feet above the path that he had left to start that climb. How's your faith? How do your doubts play into your faith? How much do your doubts hold you back from what God's asking you to do? What blessings do you miss out on because you allow your doubts to outweigh your faith? I wonder for you guys, how many of you are like me and that you really believe that God can do anything? He's all-powerful. He literally can do anything. But you find yourself stuck in this trap of asking the question, but God, will you do it for me? I believe you can do it. I believe you can, you can rescue that guy dangling from the rope. Man, that's a great story, but would you do that for me? God, I know you can save me, but cut the rope? Are you crazy? How's that supposed to work? I want to explore a story this morning that comes from the Gospel of Mark. It's Mark chapter 9. You can turn with me or just follow along on the screen if you want. We're going to start in verse 14. This is right after the transfiguration. It's the story of a dad who brings his son, who it says is possessed by an evil spirit, and he brings his son to Jesus to heal him. And uh, we're going to pick up the story here in verse 14. Jesus is just coming back off the mountain from the transfiguration, has um, Peter, James, and John with him, and this is what he walks up on. It says, when they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. And some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. So Jesus walks up in this situation where the dad has brought his son to be healed. But the disciples obviously can't help him. And then you've got these religious leaders in the mix trying to explain to them how they're doing it all wrong, why they have no power. You've got all these things happening. But here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you, for this story, just to try to put yourself in the dad's shoes. And think about this from his perspective, what he's walking through. Verse 17 tells us, I brought my son so you could heal him. And we read over that and it goes, well, okay, that, that's obvious. You bring your son, you've heard about Jesus, you're going to bring him to be healed. But the word brought doesn't really give us good translation of what's going on because when you go back to the original Greek text, the word that's used there paints a picture of literally he seized his son. He had to forcibly bring him to Jesus, maybe even carry him to him. It's a very different picture of what's going on. And you find this dad who's been dealing with all this stuff with his son for a long time and he finally sees this glimmer of hope in Jesus. And he's excited about it. And he goes through the struggle of bringing his son, who's having what appears to be seizures, as we listen to it, of wrapping him up and bringing him to Jesus, hoping that Jesus can help. And I think about that for a moment as a parent. You know, one of the most difficult things in life is when you watch your kids go through something that you can't help or you can't fix. Much more difficult than what we go through, isn't it? It's terrible. I remember, I'll never forget this. When, uh, when my oldest daughter, Alyssa, was 17 months old, 
she had a, a pretty significant head injury, and we had to take her to the hospital, and they were in the process of putting in an IV. They were thinking they might have to do surgery at the time, and um, when they were putting the IV in, I just remember being in the room and having to hold her physically down on the, the hospital bed while they stuck her over and over and over, trying to find a vein that would work for this IV. And she's screaming, and I'm crying, and mom's in the corner crying, and I'm trying to hold her down, and I know it's the best thing for her. I know she's got to have this IV. But here's these people hurting my baby girl. It's not supposed to be that way, and, and they're inflicting pain on her. It's not easy, because this is a moment where I go, I can't fix this. There's something more wrong than what I can do anything about. And so even though I know this is the best thing for her, it's hard as a parent. And look at this dad who has walked probably for years with his son on this journey from what we understand in this, in this story. He can't do anything about it. He can't fix it. It's too big for him. He's not even sure what's best for his son. He doesn't know where to turn, what to do, how to help. And he brings his boy to Jesus, and when he gets there, as if he's not already feeling defeated enough, now Jesus isn't even there. He's up on the mountain with his disciples praying, and the dad walks up and he goes, well, at least the disciples are here. They can take care of this. I mean, they've been walking with Jesus. I've been hearing all these amazing stories. They're, they're casting out demons. They're healing people. They're doing these amazing things, except they can't. The disciples don't even know what to do. They can't cast the spirit out. They can't fix it. They can't even figure out why. Now what? Now what do I do? I would encourage you this week, especially if you're in your small groups, I'm asking small groups to read through this whole story because there's some really cool interaction between Jesus and his disciples specifically about this. But I'm going to skip over that right now just for time's sake because I really want you to see what goes on between Jesus and the dad. So skip down to verse 21 with me. It says this, How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, Since he was a little boy. The Spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Now listen to this phrase. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Did you catch that? I think that's kind of what I would say in that moment. You've been through all this stuff with your son. He's having all these issues. You can't fix it. You can't seem to find anybody who can fix it. You can't find help. And he comes to Jesus and he goes, Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Wouldn't you have some doubts too at this point? God, if you're really good, do something. Show up here. Jesus, if you're really who everyone says you are, fix this. Do something about it. I wonder why it is that so many of us have that big if stuck in our mind when it comes to matters of faith. Why is it we battle so much with doubt? Well, that's why I love this story. Because I look at the story and I see at least three really clear reasons this dad's battling with doubt, and I relate to them. I can connect to it. I go, I get this, because this is how I would feel. So I want to just point out some of those observations to you this morning, causes of doubt that we probably experience ourselves. The first is this. Our doubts develop because God doesn't do what we would do. Let me make it more personal for you. Our doubts develop because God doesn't do what I would do. I mean, it's all good as long as God's following my plan and how I think it should go, but when he goes off script and he's doing his own thing and it doesn't line up with what's obvious, the answer to me, I'm not so good with that. I struggle with that. Doubts creep in. And I may not verbalize it quite like that, but that's the reality of what I face. I mean, think about it. This dad would do anything to heal his boy. 
to get rid of this evil spirit that's tormenting him, the simple fact that he's brought his son to Jesus and you've got all these Pharisees gathered around and all the commotion that's happening suggests to us that this guy's probably a Jew. So he has very good understanding of God. He knows that God is all-powerful, that God can do anything. He's read the scriptures. He understands a lot about who God is. And he's bringing him to Jesus saying, if you can do something, do it. I'm desperate. I need your help. And he looks at this situation and says, God, why wouldn't you heal my boy? I mean, that's the obvious answer to this situation. He's sick. There's something going on. He has this evil spirit that's tormenting him. Why wouldn't you heal him? It's not a hard question to answer, is it? Isn't that the obvious thing that needs to happen? What about your life? How does this kind of struggle play out for you? Maybe it has to do with your health. Maybe you're going through something that's difficult and you just don't understand and you're praying that God would heal you, whether it be cancer or some other disease or sickness or illness, whatever it may be. Some ongoing struggle, or maybe it's not even you, maybe it's somebody you love and care about. Maybe it's a family member or a friend or somebody you're close to. God, why wouldn't you heal them? Why wouldn't you take care of that? Maybe it's in a relationship, your marriage. You've prayed for a long time, God, I I want a healthy marriage and and I want to honor you in everything we say and do, but yet you still come back to the same struggle all the time and you still wrestle through the same things and God, why aren't you showing up in this? Why are we still having these problems? Or maybe even your job situation. You put in for that promotion because the hours are better and the money's better and you know it's exactly what your family needs. God, of course you're going to give me that job, but yet they give it to that guy who's half as qualified. He didn't really need the money. He doesn't have a family he's got to worry about the hours he's working. Why? Where were you in that? Or we run through that scenario where people tell us over and over, if you just read your Bible enough and and you'll pray, really pray earnestly, then, then God will bless you. And you've been doing that. You've been praying, you've been reading Scripture, and you've been seeking God earnestly, really. And you still wake up each morning battling depression or struggling, asking, is this all there is? Or trying to figure out why you're still up against these obstacles that keep popping up in life. God, why don't you do what I would do? Why don't you fix it the way I would fix it? This is obvious. Where are you? When God doesn't handle things the way we would handle them, it's hard to understand and even harder to accept. We lack perspective, but our perspective is the only one we know. See, often God doesn't do what we would do, and we're left with doubts. Second observation I would make is this. Our doubts develop because we've tried different things that just didn't work. I've tried everything, and it just didn't work. I mean, think about this father bringing his boy to Jesus. It leaves us with the impression this has been going on for several years. He says this has been happening since he was a little boy. Don't you think this dad has tried everything possible to help his boy? to heal him, to help him get better from this. I guarantee he's exhausted every effort he can come up with, every thought he can come across. He comes to Jesus' disciples almost as a last resort, looking for Jesus. He finds them and goes, well, they can fix it, and even they can't do anything. I've tried all these things, and they didn't work. I hear it all the time. I read four books about marriage, and we had this conversation, and we went to a counselor, and we're still struggling with the same thing. I'm struggling with 
patience with my kids, and I, I yell at them, and I, I, I'm not very good at these kinds of things, but I've, I've listened to every podcast, and I've talked to this person, I've done these things, I've been a part of this group. Why isn't this helping? I've been to the recovery groups. I'm still battling addiction. I've done this. I've done that. All those are good things. We need to go through them. In fact, I'd say God says we need to do those things. We need to be proactive. Here's the problem. Too many times we let our purpose and our process get in the way of God's purpose and his process. I think God expects us to put effort into the process. But when we let our plans get in the way of his plans, we've got a problem. God says cut the rope, and we're more worried about how we're going to survive the night hanging on for dear life. How am I going to fix this? We try all of our ways to fix it, and when they don't work, we're left with doubts. So doubts develop because God doesn't do what we would do, because we try different things that don't work, and I think the third observation I'd make from the story is this. Our doubts develop because people around us express doubts. And this is probably one of the hardest ones. People around us express doubts. Maybe your family, maybe friends, maybe coworkers. And they could express their doubts in a lot of different ways. Maybe they push back and go, oh, that, that, that God thing, that's just a crutch for people who are weak-minded. Why in the world are you trusting in that? Or maybe they tried the God thing. I prayed for this for so long and nothing ever happened. I mean, where was God in that? How could he really exist? How could he be real? Because he didn't show up when I prayed. He didn't show up when I asked him for something. Quit praying about stuff. Start doing something about it. Fix it yourself. Figure it out or you're going to be stuck there forever. Think about the dad in the story as he brings his son. The disciples can't heal him. And what do you see that happens immediately? The Pharisees jump on it like crazy. There's all this arguing going on, and I can only imagine that they're standing there stirring up drama like they always do. In fact, they're probably accusing the dad of, well, how have you sinned? What have you done wrong that's caused this to happen in your boy? Or what did your boy do wrong to cause this to happen? You know, I'm sure it's something there. Well, maybe you just haven't prayed enough. Maybe you haven't really studied Scripture very well. There's, there's got to be something you've done that's caused this. We see these three common reasons for doubt that emerge in the story where God doesn't do what we would do. We've tried different things, didn't work. People around us express doubts. And I want you to take that context, those three things that we see in the story, and I want you to watch the encounter that happens between Jesus and the dad. And watch how it unfolds. Verse 21. If you can help, please have mercy on us and do something. Remember, that's what the dad's saying. Excuse me, verse 23. Jesus says this, what do you mean if I can? Now, it doesn't give you a lot of context here to tell you the, the, the perspective of how he said it or you know, the tone of his voice or any of those things, but I read that and I can just picture Jesus standing there with kind of a wry smile on his face, a little bit of sarcasm in the tone to go, what are you saying if I can? I mean, come on, give me a challenge. Bring something that I can't do. What do you mean if I can? Anything is possible for a person who believes. Anything is possible for a person who believes. Anything? I mean, you're saying all I have to do right now is believe? See, if I'm the dad right now, I'm thinking, yeah, I've tried everything. I've tried this whole believing thing. Even your own disciples can't even do anything for my boy. 
What do you want me to do? But that's my response. That's not how the dad responds. Look at his reaction, the next verse. It says, the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me to overcome my unbelief. I do believe, but help me to overcome my unbelief. The Greek word that's translated there, cried out, it, it, it paints this picture of croaking or screaming like a raven would call. It's a picture of an emotional response, kind of a guttural reaction. It's, it's desperation that you see in, in the father. The word is kradzo. And it's this gut-level kind of response where he's going, I'll do anything. I want to believe. I'm trying to believe. Help me to believe. You're my last hope. And if you're saying that this hinges on my belief, I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. I want to believe. I really do. The Greek word for unbelief is apostia, and it literally means an active disbelieving. Suggests a passively untrusting person saying, I do believe, but I've still got these pockets of doubt. I'm trying, but I'm struggling. I don't know about you, but I feel like there's a lot of times in life that I kind of live there. I do believe. I know you can do all of these things, God, but I'm struggling to believe it right now in this moment in my life. I'm struggling to believe it in this situation. God, I've even seen you do these things for other people, but will you do it for me? And even when I look back at my life and I see God's faithfulness over and over and over, I'm just like the Israelites who wandered in the wilderness forever, where I see God's faithfulness, I see him come through, and I still question God. Will you do it again? Will you come through? Will you be faithful in this moment? Can I trust you? Paul tells us in Romans 10 that faith comes from hearing the gospel, which is the very word of God. And for me this morning, that's why I wanted to share this story, because I wanted us to explore the word of God and what it has to say about our doubts and about how we overcome those things. Because I can stand up here and give you five or six steps about how you overcome doubt and how you grow your faith and, and all these practical how-tos, and that's great. The self-help books only get us so far. And I want us to understand what's going on inside of us, and I think we have to see the perspective of the dad to understand that. His struggle with doubt is real, and yet his attempt at faith is genuine. He says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. I'd like to be able to mirror the dad's response. And there are two specific things I see in his response that I think would be good for us to mirror. And it's this. The first is he's honest about his faith struggles. He's just honest about it. He's transparent. He's open. He's vulnerable. I do believe, but help my unbelief. I'm struggling with this, Jesus. He doesn't take the fake it until you make it approach like most of us do. I mean, think about it. Isn't that kind of what we normally do? We, we try to put on a show and convince somebody that we've got to figure it figured out or that we can handle it or that we're going to get it fixed. He's not that way. He's just honest and sincere. I want to believe, but I'm struggling. I don't want to doubt, but every other experience I've walked through has caused doubt in me. And when you look at Jesus' ministry, it's interesting that every time somebody comes to Jesus this way, they come sincerely and they come honestly and they come with transparency every time he reaches out to them. He works with them, he helps them, he shows compassion to them, he walks with them. And when he pushes back and when he's harsh and when he's critical of others, 
is when they're faking it. It's people like the Pharisees who are hypocrites, as he calls them, who come in and they act like they've got it all together. And they say, oh, you know, we're worshiping God and our hearts are good and they're pure. And he says, yeah, your hearts are like whitewashed tombs. They're full of death and decay. But I'm sure none of us ever fake it, right? None of us ever, like, put the mask on and act different. We are who we say we are all the time. I mean, the way you act here on Sunday morning, that's the way you act Monday morning at your job, right? No difference, no change. The, the principles that we learn here at church, the things we talk through, what we learn from God's Word, we apply that in every area of our life, don't we? Well, let's make it a little more practical. I'm sure none of you struggle with this, but I'll admit I have from time to time. You wake up on a Sunday morning, life is crazy, you stayed up too late on Saturday night watching a football game that you should not have stayed up that late to watch your team lose anyway. You're already upset. The kids get out of bed late. You're arguing with them, trying to get them out the door. Usually mom or dad one's in the car blowing the horn, trying to get everybody out to the car. You argue all the way to church. You pull in the church parking lot. Zip it. We're going to church. You get out. You put the smile on. You walk in the door, and the greeter says, How are you today? Oh, great. It's been a good week. Liars. (laughs) It's not been good. You fought all the way to church. But isn't that how we do? How are you doing? Good. Not really. But we don't want to get into all that. Seriously. Jesus doesn't want fake. He wants us honest, broken, humble, surrendered. He wants us to bring our doubts and our lack of faith and belief to him. He says, come as you are, not come when you get it figured out and have it fixed. The dad's honest about his faith struggles, and we should be too. Here's the second thing that I observe in this, in the dad's response. He acts on the faith that God has given him. He acts on the faith God has given him. It may not be much, but he still acts. He says, I'm struggling to believe, but help my unbelief. And I think it's something we should mirror. And James 2.26 says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Or you could also translate that, so also faith is dead without good deeds or without action. Basically, our faith is useless if we don't act on it, if we don't put it into practice. This dad didn't have a lot of faith, but he acted on what he had, and Jesus honored that. He took that little bit of, I kind of sort of believe, I want to believe, I'm trying to believe, and he did something with it. In fact, he healed his boy with that little bit of faith. I read something really interesting this past week. It was about an African impala. There's a picture of one that you can see. It's basically a really small deer from Africa. But the African impala is known for how fast it can run, how far it can jump, their strides sometimes are as much as 30 feet in length when they get in, in full gallop and they're moving. They've been known to jump as high as 10 feet vertically into the air. Now stop and think about that for a moment. 10 feet vertical ups. That's not dunking the basketball. That's jumping over the backboard. These deer can jump. And yet when you go to the zoo to see the deer, they put them in these surroundings that contain them with a wall that's maybe three or four feet tall. What? You've got an impala that can jump 10 feet in the air, jump 30 feet in distance, and you put a three or four foot wall in front of it, and that's going to contain it in the zoo? It does. Because here's the catch. 
An impala won't jump unless it can see where its feet are going to land. And if it can't see over that wall to know where its feet are going to land, it's never going to jump over the wall. See, I think a lot of us live our lives just like that impala. We can't see where our feet are going to land, and therefore we don't jump even when God says jump. We're unwilling to take the leap of faith, not knowing where we'll land. We don't know how things will turn out, but think about it. If we knew how things would turn out or if we knew where our feet would land, then it wouldn't be called faith, would it? Isn't that what faith is? It isn't about knowing where your feet will land. It's about trusting God enough to jump even when we don't know where our feet will land. In Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, as we know it, the writer tells us that it's impossible to please God without faith. The reality is you may have to jump. You may have to act on whatever faith God's given you, just like the dad did in the story. Faith comes from God, and as you put the faith God has given you to action, you'll see how God will grow your faith. So I want to wrap up like this today. I want to share one last story with you. It's another story from Scripture, and this story has probably two of the most profound statements of faith that I've ever seen. And I want you to experience them and see them this morning as well. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as soon as I say those names, you probably go, Oh, I know that story. They're the ones they threw in the furnace. Well, I bet you haven't stopped to think about what they've said in the story or what they've done. The story goes like this. These were three Jewish boys that were exiled to Babylon along with all the rest of the Israelites. The whole nation's been exiled. And King Nebuchadnezzar's in charge, and, and he's this ruthless, terrible king, and he... He comes down on all of them. They're all slaves in this land. But these three Jewish boys, they found favor with the king, and they've, they've really come up, and they're in a pretty good position. Until this one day when the king comes back and says, everyone in the land has to bow to the statue. And he's created this golden statue, this image of their false Babylonian gods. And he says, everybody has to bow and worship this image. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, we'll never do that. We're not going to dishonor our God that way. We won't bow to your image. And the king's just blown away. Who are you to tell me you won't bow to this image that I say everyone has to bow to? And so he puts out a decree saying, anybody that doesn't bow is going to be cast into the fiery furnace. It'll be immediate death. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, no, not us. We won't do it. We won't dishonor our God that way. And so King Nebuchadnezzar calls them back before him, and he gives them one last chance. This is your chance. Bow before the idol, or we're throwing you in the furnace. Don't make me do this. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go, no, we won't dishonor our God that way. They refuse to bow. So we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 3, starting verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Listen to this. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. Notice the tense here. He is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. That's a powerful statement of faith. Here's three boys to go. Our God's not only able to show up and do something amazing, he's going to. We're trusting him to do it. We have faith that he will do it. They make a bold declaration here. It's big, big faith being put to action. But the next verse is even more profound. And this is the one that gets me every time. Because I struggle with that, but this next one's where it hurts. Verse 18, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never 
serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Our God is able to save us. He will save us. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't show up, even if he chooses to let us die in that fiery furnace, we're going to go through it anyway because we will never back down from serving our God. It's the leap of faith. Even if my feet don't know where I'm going to land, God's still sovereign. He's still all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. His ways always have been and always will be higher than our ways. And even when things don't work out the way I think they should, He's still in control. He's still sovereign. I will not doubt the goodness and the presence of my God. I can't speak for you guys, but I can speak for me. And I know that there are a lot of times in life that I can think back to moments where I felt like the dad in the story in Mark 9. Maybe he wasn't going through something so severe with my kids, but just going through some kind of struggle, some kind of obstacle that went up against my faith. And everything gave more and more reason for doubt. And it was hard in that moment to have faith and trust that God would show up and he would do that for me. I can see him doing it for you. I can pray for you all day long. I mean, that's what pastors are good for, right? We pray for you so that God will show up and help you in your life. That's all well and good, but what about when I need God to show up? Do I believe what I talk about? Do I live it out? Because I know you all think we have it all together, but we're more screwed up than you are. You just don't know it. Really? I struggle with the same doubts you struggle with. I have the same faith struggles you have. I walk through the same junk in life that you walk through. I had somebody last service come and talk to me about the struggle that they were having in their marriage, and it was like they expected me to have the answers. And I went, I don't have any answers. I go through struggles in my own marriage day in and day out. I walk through the same stuff. But I know who has the answers, and we can pray. See, here's the thing. This morning, my challenge to you would be very simple. And it would be that we, together, all of us, mirror the response that we see this dad give in Mark 9. That we're honest about our faith struggles. We're honest about what we're walking through. We're honest in the moments where we lack faith, period. And we're struggling with doubt. And that we take the little bit of faith we have and we act on it. Do something with it and allow God to do something with it. My challenge is that you would choose to leap even when you can't see where your feet are going to fall. That you would choose to cut the rope even when you feel like you're dangling and holding on for dear life and don't know what's going to happen. When God says leap, when he says cut the rope, trust him. I know we've only said this out loud a few times this year probably, but at the beginning of the year, our pastor team went away for a few days, just to, uh, some time to pray and plan and talk about what God was doing here at TBA and where we were going. And there was this one theme that came out of that weekend. It was something God had laid on Brian Stuyvesant's heart that he shared with us. And the more we talked about it, the more we prayed about it, we knew it was something that God was saying to TBA this year. It really became our theme for the year. And so you, while you may not have heard this phrase, you've heard this taught throughout the entire year here at TBA, and it's this. We need to adjust our lives 
to God's purposes. We've got to start adjusting our lives to God's purposes. We can't keep doing life our way and think we're going to get it figured out or think we're going to do something about it. We've got to start looking at things God's way. We've got to start allowing him to speak into our hearts and following him and being faithful in the moments that he calls us to cut the rope. We've got to choose to cut the rope and trust that he's going to show up and do something amazing. And that's what this morning's all about. I'm not asking you to go out and do something crazy or stupid unless that's what God asks you to do. Because let me tell you, if I'm the guy dangling on the end of the rope and he says cut the rope, I'm going to question that. Are you sure, God? Cut the rope? I mean, have you seen where I was climbing? Do you know how far up I was? But when God says cut the rope, we've got to cut the rope. We've got to trust him. We've got to put our little bit of faith to action and trust that he'll show up. Man, you guys, come on up. We've done this for a few weeks now, so it shouldn't be something new to you, but there's a couple ways you can respond this morning. I don't know how God's dealing in your heart. I don't know if he's you know, revealing doubts to you that you need to, to pray to overcome, if he's showing you the little bit of faith you have and asking you to put it to action in something. I, I don't know what exactly God may be saying to you. But you can respond just on your own, just spending some time with him, either come here and kneel at the stage or kneel at your chair or, or just stand there at your chair even and just spend some time praying with him. He's your father, your daddy. He wants to talk to you. He loves you. He wants to, to help you walk through this. And because you take a struggle to him doesn't mean he's going to fix it today. Because there's a common problem we run into all the time where we go, well, I prayed about it, but God didn't fix it. Well, maybe he's taking you on a journey that's helping change you and fix you. But it's a slow process. So one way you can respond is just to spend some time praying with him. Another way you can respond, maybe you need to come back to Next Steps and talk to one of us. I'll be back there, Brian and Jen are there. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to have some time just to share. Tim and Joni will be there as well. But we want to be able to pray with you to help you know some of the next steps you can take to be able to walk this journey out, to be able to grow in your faith, to be able to overcome the obstacles and the struggles and the doubts that get thrown your way. If you tell me you don't have doubts, that's what concerns me. Because I think if we're all honest, we battle this at some point, no matter what we come up against. We're going to battle having doubts and having struggles. But maybe you just need somebody to help you take that next step towards God, to figure out how to depend on Him a little differently, how to put your faith to action. Maybe there are some resources we can give you that will help you walk that journey. Maybe we can connect you with someone who's walked a similar journey that can walk with you. That's why God gave us community. That's why we do this church thing that we do. We come together. God created us for community, to live together, to do life together. We need each other. We weren't meant to walk alone and do this alone. And sometimes it just takes somebody coming alongside and taking our arm and going, I've been where you've been. I've walked there. I've seen God show up. Let's walk together. He'll show up for you too. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray. The band's going to play, and as they do... I would simply ask you to respond as God lays it on your heart. Maybe it really is just a, a personal, private conversation with him right now, and that's fine if that's what it is. But don't be afraid to come and have someone pray with you or walk with you as well. Let's pray. God, just thank you that you love us enough that you don't leave us alone. 
that God, even in those moments when we feel like we're dangling at the end of the rope and, and that all hope is lost and we're just desperate for you to show up, that you show up there. And God, sometimes the things you say to us are hard for us to understand. They're hard for us to trust. They're hard for us to, to have faith in. But God, I just pray that you would even now begin to overcome our doubts. That you would help us to face those struggles head on. To help us to depend on you. To be like this dad who just comes honestly before you and says, I, I, I do believe, but I, I still am struggling. Help me in my unbelief. Help me to believe. Help me to trust you completely. Help me to have faith in you. And God, as you always do, I pray that you show up and help strengthen our belief in those moments and strengthen our faith and help us to grow in that. God, I don't know what obstacles we're facing this morning. I don't know what doubts we're up against. I don't know the situations that may be represented here this morning, but God, we're people who live in a broken world and have problems. And I know that all of us at some level or another, at some time or another, are struggling with doubt or struggling with unbelief or struggling to have faith. It may be severe, it may be simple, but God, I pray that right now you would speak to each individual heart, that you would reveal those things to us and help us in this moment to trust you and to have courage to step out in faith, to cut the rope, to leap, even when we don't know where our feet are going to land, knowing that you are the one who will take care of us, knowing that you will show up, but that even if you don't show up the way we think you should, you're still worthy of our trust and you're still worthy of our praise and you're still worthy of our faith. And help us to rest in that. In your name we pray. Amen.